grab your Bibles uh, with me this morning. We're going to be in the book of Acts today as we continue to walk through uh, our story, the story of the early church, and, and not just remembering and looking back at what was, but looking forward to what is and how we live and where we live even today. And so Acts chapter 5, we made it through Ananias and Sapphira. Um, I see many faces back, so no one, no one took their, their journey after we were done with them last week, but um, glad that you're here with us today. Let's go ahead and, and start looking. We'll start in verse 17 reading today as we look at something we don't talk about straight on very often, which is really understanding opposition. I don't want to spend all of our days looking at opposition, but I do think we need to be aware. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion, like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Do you know that's, that's what he's out there against? And so there's a call to be alert. And, and I, I was thinking about understanding opposition and where we sit today and where we stand today. And, and you may or may not know, I I'm, I'm, was born in a little town called Ashford, Alabama, which was a suburb of Dothan, Alabama, which is just in South Alabama, somewhere close to, to Florida, basically. Um, but on this day in 1965, something happened in Alabama that changed part of our culture. And it's known as the American Bloody Sunday. It was a part when um, our African Americans were given the, the rights, the, the civil rights laws to come into place, and there was a, a prohibition among some of the leadership in, in some of the regions of Alabama that, that didn't want their influence, quite honestly, that, that had a desire to understand hierarchy and privilege and personality and all those things. And so this group of people start walking across this bridge to, to the governor's office. And they, the governor shared, stop them at all costs, whatever it takes. And in a time when you had people who had been marginalized well beyond anything that anyone should ever endure... You have another group of people cheering, eating food as men and women and children are beaten with sticks with wires on them. Now, what would cause, what would cause any individual to cheer that on? You know, I, I remember a quote I read from Martin Luther King about that event before it happened, that, that there was a reporter who went to help people in other times get up. He said, don't you dare help a soul up because if you don't take a picture, no one will know. You see, church, there are some things that ought not to make sense to us. There are some things that should not feel normal or natural to us if we walk in Christ. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't seek to understand it so that we can live in victory in the middle of it. So that we can be the hands and feet of Christ in our world and recognize it when it comes upon us. Because I'm telling you what Jesus says is in this world we will have trouble. If you claim the name of Jesus Christ, that's a promise to you. If you believe that following hard after Jesus will make life copacetic, easy going, then you have read the wrong scripture. 
And so Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, listen, be alert, be watchful, be sober-minded. So as the Spirit calls us today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the opposition, sin, those who follow and worship what sin calls them to worship, which is anything but Jesus. And we're going to look at how that affects us or impacts us in our Christian walk. So we're going to read a big chunk of scripture if you've got it here. So if you will look with me in verse 17, we're going to read all the way down to verse 42. So pay attention. I'll try to read well and clearly for you, but we're going to be referencing scripture a lot. And I don't want to get um, bogged down too much with back and forth. The Bible says this. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. And they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the prison, and he brought them out, and he said, Go, stand in the temple, speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered into the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together all the council, all of the senate of the people of Israel, and they sent to prison to him to them have them brought out. Verse 22, but when the officers came, they did not find them in prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men who you put in prison, they're standing in the temple and they're teaching people. Well, the captain with the officers went and he brought them, but not by force this time, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they brought them, they set them aside before the council and said the high priest questioned them. And this is what the high priest said. He said, we strictly charge you in the name, in, not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You've intended to bring this man's blood upon us. Well, Jesus said in the apostles' answer, excuse me, Peter said in the apostles' answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as a leader and a savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. And we are witnesses to these things. So is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Well, when they heard this, they were enraged and they wanted to kill him. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held and honored by all the people, stood up and he gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For he said, before these days, Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. And he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census, and he drew some of the people after him, and he too perished, and those who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you this, keep away from these men, let them alone, for if this plan is the undertaking of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took it as advice, and when they called the apostles back in, they beat them. And they charged him not to speak the name of Jesus, and they let him go. Then they, the apostles, left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching 
that Jesus is the Christ. Now we have to read the whole passage because this is not a story that is written point by point to be preached in a sermon. This is life lived, inspiring and calling us in. And so as we walk into this, we walk into the disciples' life. What are they doing? They're preaching truth, hope in the name of Jesus Christ. They're offering life and salvation to all people. And what happens? They're imprisoned and they're beaten. On the surface, it doesn't make sense. Now, don't get me wrong. There are people that talk a lot in this world, amen? And, and every now and then, that can get on your nerves, can it? Every now and then, you can be graded, you can be offended that they're, that they're just talking. But, but that's not a reason to beat them and put them in prison. That's not a reason to, to fight and follow hard after them with such veracity. So what would cause men, even if they don't like the person we're talking about, what would cause them to act this way verse 17 it's it's there it's clear as day the bible says this in that moment the high priest rose up and all who were with him and they were filled with what what does your bible say jealousy now i want you to chew on that for just a second these guys they're the sadducees they're the high priest they're the who's who and the what's what Today, they would be the modern-day um, leaders in, in, in the world. It would be Hollywood or sports figure. There's someone who's important because they have ability to influence things, and they have power. And in this moment, they see these people talking about Jesus, and they have what these men have been fighting their whole life to obtain and hold on to, a following. You know, these men in verse 12 through verse 15, it just talks about what they're doing. It says, now signs and wonders were being done regularly among the people, and they were all together. But people esteemed them still, even the ones who dreaded them. Men and women in the street, they so revered them, they, they thought maybe a shadow of the apostle had something to do with it. Even people who had no idea, who would mess up biblical doctrine, who would lead people astray, knew undeniably undeniably that those who followed Christ those who preach him in the power of his name had something that was not of themselves and these men wanted it church I would tell you that jealousy this envious desire to have for yourself what you do not have enough of yet drives us draws us in and helps us understand why the enemies of the cross have such an issue with those who faithfully follow the Lord. I mean, we can look all the way back to Genesis. In Genesis chapter 4, what do we see? We see Cain jealous of Abel's approval by God. And so what does he do? He kills him, right? We, we could go a little bit further. We could go to, um, we can go to Moses in Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews. And excuse me, in the book of Exodus. And the, the Hebrews, after Moses trying to stand up for them, said, who are you? They're jealous that he's been privileged enough not to have to live the hard life. They're jealous that he was raised in the castle, so to speak. 
We, we could go further into to David and Uriah. David was jealous of what Uriah had, wasn't he? So what did he do? He's jealous of a blessing, so he tried to get it of himself. Even David, who loved the Lord at times, he fell captive to being an object used for his own glory, which became a tool against the Almighty God. If we wanted to trace it all the way back, we could hear the words in Isaiah when Satan says, I will be like the Most High. You see, jealousy is rooted in me projecting my right, my world, and my light and letting everyone else fall into that story. See, that's the road and the role of sin in the end. At the end of the day, there is no person, there's no man, there's no woman, no boy, no girl. There is no thing out there that can create a destination that is holy, just, pure, and good outside of God. So at the root cause of this, check this out. At the root cause of this, those who oppose those who follow the name of Jesus Christ are jealous of a relationship that you have that draws you into a position of more power and influence than someone else has. The enemy is jealous of the cross. You see, the tactics that he uses to, to play out this jealousy is, is crafty because they're, they're really twofold. We can look through all of this, but we can really boil it down to two areas. We, we can see that when the enemy attacks the church, when you're ready for it, he uses two things, captivity and misery. Those, those are the two best tools to oppose the Christ follower. I'm not talking about sin. Now, now check this out before we go any further. If you are being disciplined because you are embracing sin in your life, you are acting as an enemy of the cross even as you worship it. That's not what we're talking about today. What we're talking about today is when you and I are living faithfully for Jesus Christ and those who oppose the cross are coming after us. So don't walk away today thinking my discipline is because of something else. If you're living in sin, we can repent of that. We're trapping ourselves. We're our own enemy. But listen to the Bible in verse 18 and verse 26. This is what it says. It says, then they arrested the apostles and put them in, in prison. Then verse 26, then the captain of the officers went and he brought them, not by force, for the people afraid of being stoned by the people. What are they trying to do? They're trying to shut them down, make them captive, pull the plug on them. Church, whether it is a, a society, a government, or an individual, that would be the primary goal of the enemy of the cross, would be to take you captive to take me captive. And listen, church, if and when that happens, that is not the battle. We can go through the pages of Scripture, and the reality is captivity comes when people try to shut you down or an all-out assault on you. But verse 19 says that God sets them free. And he commands them to speak. Church, when we are captive, it is a platform for the freedom of the cross. Listen, we have a role in this society. 
But if you believe the circumstances of captivity in this world are your main battlefield, then you have taken on a captive mentality. Because the enemy desires you to see yourself as one battling out of a worldly cage in a worldly situation. Don't, don't fall into that trap. When the enemy tries to take you captive, it's not about fighting for your freedom. It's about living in the freedom that God provides for you. In such a way, you are never captive. Because the enemy holds no key to lock the believer in a prison apart from their relationship with God. We must enter in that jail freely as if the door is open, thinking that we have nowhere to go. But the enemy will throw captivity at us. But he'll also throw misery. Verse 27 and verse 40. Look at what happens. The Bible says this. And then they brought them. They set them before the council. And the high queen started questioning them. He tries to make them misery. We strictly charge you not to talk in this name. Yet you fill Jerusalem with your teaching. And intend to bring his blood on my head. Our heads. Verse 40, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing. They were counted worthy. Why? Because in verse 40, they were told not to speak in the name of Jesus. You see, social pressure and intimidation, that's a way the enemy tries to shut down the church. It's this, this idea that you're not a good member of society if you keep talking about Jesus. If, you're, if your answer to life is Jesus and your answer to marriage is Jesus and your answer to hope is Jesus you might be stepping on someone else's toe you may be infringing so if you'll just shut your mouth about Jesus and talk about how to make the world a better place to go to hell from we'll be in good shape that's a good citizen if you would just talk more about political party and action items if you would just talk more about moralism, if you would just get yourself caught up, we're in. But just be quiet about Jesus because you're not a good citizen. In fact, I would tell you in many church halls across America, it is not Jesus who is the answer for the misery that we pursue it is moralism and patriotism and rightism and selfism with a sprinkling of the cross. Church, we can't fall victim to the tactics of misery. Instead, we have to rejoice. Verse 41, can you imagine when they were let out, warned, intimidated by social pressure, what did they do? They rejoiced that they were worthy to what? To suffer. If you were to walk through your scripture this week and just look at the word suffer and how many times it is linked to the absolute identity to the Christ follower on this world, it would blow your mind because we are called to follow the suffering servant in this life. Church, the enemy has come and under pressure said, don't talk about suffering of the believer. Talk about all the other things. And there's a lot of other things, but don't talk about suffering. But the disciples rejoiced in their suffering. They didn't try to get out of it. They didn't try to keep it from happening. You see, if we fall into a captive mentality, our goal is to keep suffering from happening. 
Oh, look at the pages of the word, church. Oh, that we would be worthy, living hard after Jesus Christ, that the enemy would desire so much attention to cause us to suffer because of our relationship with the Christ. How would that change your mind when your body's failing you and you're suffering? How would that change your mind when, when those at work are, are trapping you or intimidating you? How would it change your mind when the people around you are, are rebelling against your relationship if you and I saw that when we suffer because of Jesus Christ, it is a privilege, not a failing from death to life because here's the truth the reality is the object of the opposition is not you the object of the opposition is not me the enemy sin demons and, and, and Satan they don't care about you the object of their wrath is the God whom has broken relationship with them and caused them to experience the consequence and the path of eternal condemnation. And the goal is to hurt that God by hurting those who he calls his. Church, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I know what your mama told you. You can be anything you want to be. Amen? Your mama might have been lying to you. Right? I, I, know, I know the plans that are before us, but I want you to check this out. This is really bad. If you don't come to church next week, I understand. You're not that important. It's whom you represent. It's whom you stand with. He is important. He is the all in all. And so if you are suffering for the cross... You are suffering because of his reputation, not because of yours. And so when we realize that, our role all of a sudden finds ourselves no longer seeking this life. But within, with James, we say, God, I will humble myself before you and you exalt me as you desire. But my sufferings and my victories are not about me, church. If we will get our mind off of fixing and we will put it on following. And we can be ready for suffering because the kingdom will be expanding. Who are you living for? And how do we respond when we are called to suffer because the opposition is coming? Well, let's just look in Scripture. Verse 20, verse 21. What did the disciples do? The, the Spirit said, verse 20, go and stand in the temple, speak to the people all the words of life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple, they began to preach at daybreak. What do we do? We lift up Jesus, only Jesus. They have been released from prison. The people are after them, the high priests want them, and the Spirit says, go and speak in my name. So how do we do? How do we handle suffering? We keep ourselves right where God wants us. We go and we speak and we teach and we follow. Verse 27 through 32. 
we see this interesting thing where they're brought back in and they're warned not to speak. In fact, they use this social dilemma saying, you're not being nice to us. I mean, I know we put you in prison last night, but you're not being nice. We told you not to talk about Jesus. Why can't you do this one thing? And Peter says, listen, if it's better to obey you or God, we're gonna obey God. In fact, Peter doesn't just say we're gonna obey God you know, and then, and then wave them off and walk out the door. What does he do? He shares Jesus with the people who are causing suffering to them. I mean, catch this. They have been wronged. They will be beaten. They will be persecuted and some will be killed. And what do they do? They follow the Spirit to come and tell why. Because it's Jesus, only Jesus. How can you rejoice when you've been beaten in verse 41? How can you go house to house risking this experience again and again? Because it's Jesus, only Jesus. Church, this morning, sin doesn't have to make sense. The enemy of the cross doesn't have to make sense. But if we understand that the enemy is jealous of the Christ follower's relationship with the Almighty God, and in that jealousy will do anything to cause pain to the Father by hurting his children, then we will see not only the answer, but we will see the joy in the suffering. This morning, church, as we've been going through this season of, of unusualness in our country, it's not the first season of suffering. But, but the question is this, how are you living? Are, are you living to avoid suffering? You know what that's called? Hedonism. The pursuit of pleasure at the absolute avoidance of suffering. That is where sin wants you to go because it's empty. But, but if you're not suffering, if the enemy's not attacking you, here's my question this morning. How's your relationship with Jesus? Are you so following hard after him that you are inexplicably linked to his name. If you are not, repent of the distance and see what joy looks like regardless of the enemy's tactics. Church, this morning, maybe you are here, maybe you are watching and you have realized that you are jealous and you are living a jealous life. Jealous of what someone else's family looks like. Jealous of what someone else has in their pocket. Jealous about the way people look at him or her as they walk down the street. Jealous of the security they have that you've never had. Jealous of the family who's running hard after Jesus and yours is struggling. 
If, if you've been living in that lane, listen what the Peter and the disciples say in the middle of the men. And they says, listen, you killed Jesus. You killed him. But God exalted him to give repentance and forgiveness. Wherever you are right now, even if your actions have been the opposition to the cross, the message is still for you. Jesus, he died so that you could be made new and didn't have to live in the jealousy that drives you that the world celebrates. Maybe this morning you're living in that suffering. It's a consequence and you have forgotten that it is a blessing to be linked to the name of Jesus. However it would be, would you lay all of it down before him today? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your grace and for your love and for your goodness. Lord, we know the reality and the truth of this life is that promise that we will have trouble in this world if we are linked to you, if we are linked to your name. So Father God, if there are any man, woman, boy, or girl, or that find themselves jealous, an enemy of the cross, they're looking in the mirror for the first time thinking they have been, they've been chasing an idea or an ideal, and the reality is that it has been an idol. Father God, would they lay it down, hear the words of the disciples this morning and saying, Lord, it is my sin that hung you on that tree. And it was your goodness that offers me forgiveness when I repent and confess you as Christ. Lord, if there are men and women in this room that are suffering today and that suffering has burdened them, Lord, if they are suffering because of their relationship with you, Lord, I pray right now that you would esteem them, that you would give them freedom and captivity, Lord, that you would give them uh, joy in their bruising. Lord, let us be a church that simply follows our Father wherever you lead, across any bridge, through any battlefield, for the sake of our King and our Father. In Jesus' name, amen.